grad student. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 2022. Yes, I had to. Thank you so much for asking. I could not be more excited to put 2021 behind me, to continue on in my grad program, and more especially to bring you all the exciting content coming your way this semester. But before we get to that, I have a few announcements. First, the Trevor Project fundraiser for 2021 has officially ended, and I am so excited to announce that Dear Grad Student will be donating $168 to the Trevor Project. Thank you to everyone who made purchases on the merch, and the good news is that this merch will still be available and we'll still be raising money in 2022, but we'll likely pick another charity to donate to. So if you have any LGBTQIA charities in mind, feel free to DM me. And if you want to shop this or any of the other Dear Grad Student merch, you can just head on over to deargradstudent.com slash merch. Next, of course, I need to thank the incredible patrons who continue to help fund this podcast and announce a new perk. As of today, all current and new $5 patrons and up will be getting a free podcast sticker and handwritten note from me welcoming them to the Patreon. You can put this sticker on your laptop, your water bottle, anywhere. I even have one in my car. So right now there are 10 incredible patrons with big podcast energy who will be getting those stickers and I need to give them a shout out. So thank you so much to William Oda, Vikram Baliga, Lee Goose, Jeremy Gloger, Emmeline Beltrain, my mom, Davis Bourne, Brittany Hockey, Isaac Bisla, and Brianna Williams. Once again, just here to remind all of you that you literally keep this podcast functioning. If you would like to join this incredible group of people, you can head on over to patreon.com slash deargradstudent. And before we head into today's episode, I also want to thank the members of the Dear Grad Student team for their continued hard work for the podcast. So thank you to Brittany Hockey, Nicole Coates, Caden Stockwell, and Vishal Thucker. Okay, okay. Thank you for your patience. Let's get on to today's episode. Today's episode is all about how to tackle tax season as a grad student with financial educator Dr. Emily Roberts of Personal Finance for PhDs. Hello, listeners. Welcome to 2022 and back to your favorite grad school podcast, Dear Grad Student, the podcast where grad students can come together to celebrate, commiserate, and support one another through this long and difficult journey. I'm Alana. I'm a fifth-year doctoral candidate and your host, and I'm joined today by a financial educator specializing in graduate students and PhDs, owner of the business, personal finance for PhDs, and host of the podcast by the same name, Dr. Emily Roberts. Welcome back to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me, candidate Alana. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, for all of you listening, as you know, uh, we record these ahead of time. So I defended my quals yesterday. So this is fresh and new and very exciting. Yeah, congratulations again. Thank you. Well, why don't we go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you on social media and your website and just anyone who is like, oh, yeah, I remember that other episode Emily was in, but I didn't click all those links. I need them now. Where can people find you? Absolutely. So the business name is Personal Finance for PhDs, abbreviated PhDs. So that's my handle on Twitter. And it's also PhDs.com. 
amazing. So everybody who's listening, if you haven't heard Emily's first episode, she was a guest with Tyler Hallmark on episode 27 of this podcast. I have been on her podcast twice now, so there's lots of content that you should catch up on if you haven't, but definitely go ahead and check out Emily's website, check her out on Twitter, and just see what she has to offer. And today's episode, we're going to be diving into tax season. I think a lot of my listeners know that I don't understand taxes, and they'll know this from me advertising about your tax workshop last year. So I just want to prime everybody that we're going to get into some nitty gritty about stuff that we're never taught in life. But before we get there, I do want to talk a little bit about your business in general. I think that it would be really useful to give listeners just like a general overview of like, what do you do? What do you offer? And why did you turn this passion into a business? Yeah, I think let's start, you know, with a third part because sure. if listeners haven't, you know, listened to the previous episode or whatever, they may not know that that I have a PhD and I was a graduate student for six years. It was really during that time that I became very interested in and passionate about the subject of personal finance. It was that experience of living on a graduate student stipend and how do I do that <laughs> and still live an okay life? And also, what are the, all these other things I'm supposed to be doing, like saving for retirement? Like, so you know, just the process of figuring that out. For myself, um, ultimately, I decided to kind of turn around and help other people, my own peers, graduate students, postdocs, and PhDs, yeah, just figure out that money stuff and sort of interpret personal finance education for that particular audience with its particular weird needs. <laughs> and taxes are certainly one of those. Absolutely. Um, so I actually love talking about taxes. It's my co-favorite subject along with investing. Um, so what I do now through the business is I work a lot with universities. So I give live seminars and workshops and so forth. I also have some pre-recorded stuff like the tax material that I sell to universities. I also have stuff for individuals. So I have my personal finance for PhDs community where you can get access to all of my courses and the tax workshops and just like kind of everything I do, I kind of throw into the community. Um, and then I have a podcast as well, as you mentioned that you've been on a couple of times. And I think I just crossed like 150 episodes. Oh my so, God. Yeah. It's been amazing. <laughs> I, I mean, we, our last episode, when you were on my podcast, we talked about podcasting and how That's right. uh, fulfilling it is. So yes, yes. Wow. So cool. And I had no idea that you were 150 episodes in, which I think is so cool. I think this is only episode 56 of Dear Grad Student, and it's been like a year and a half. So I just to give everyone like a sense of how long you've really been pursuing this just via podcast, let alone all the other avenues that you're pursuing this. And so I also think, you know, thinking about previous episodes where you talked about the fact that this started as like a fun thing to do while you were a grad student. So I guess my point is for anyone listening, Emily gets it. I think you, you just like get it. I actually started a Roth IRA because of Emily. I mean, you should go listen to my last episode, especially my first one with you, where we really went over like my literal finances as a person. Um, and it's just sort of a brief look into the, some of the things that you offer one-on-one -on -one with folks. So, all right, I'm going to get off my, I'm obsessed with Emily train. Anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that anytime I see someone who's like finances in grad school suck. And I'm like, have you heard of? <laughs> so I really appreciate that. I, I <laughs> love that I'm now like tagged on Twitter by anyone and everyone whenever someone talks about money. It's, it's like a like, thing. Yep, there I am. Oh, I mean, it literally is. It's almost it's almost like a joke where people are like, "Oh, uh, grad school finances? Have you heard of?" But it's not a joke because you're so helpful. <laughs> Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, why don't we go ahead and officially jump into today's episode? As I mentioned, uh, finances in general overwhelm me. Taxes overwhelm me. We never learn this 
in life. And like I also said, I hear people asking for financial advice all the time on Twitter, especially grad students. You know, when we make a stipend of twenty to 30000 almost no matter the size of the city or cost of living in your area, life is complicated. So I feel like I want to start by talking about why tax season can be so complicated. And the reason I bring this up is that I don't think I think about taxes until the week before they're due. I rush everything. It feels awful, but it's just like a whole mess. And rather than taking time to think about the things I might run into, all of it's terrible. So I'd like to maybe break down for people listening, like, what is it about being a grad student that makes this complicated? Yeah, I think the first level of difficulty is just that the graduate student experience, the experience of being a funded graduate student receiving a stipend is just the complete inverse of when you are an undergraduate student mm-hmm. and or for professional graduate students, you know, the, the JDs and the MDs and so forth. Our financial relationship to university is just the opposite of the, the, the financial relationship that all those groups experience. And so because, well, number one, everyone who gets to graduate school had an undergraduate experience, right? Like by definition. Right. And your taxes during that time were one way. And now they're going to be some completely other way now that you're in graduate school and, and have a funding package. And the other part of it is that the professionals who serve people in this arena and the arena of taxes, um, you know, there's a, there are a few, you know, diamonds in the rough that you can find that are very familiar with grad student situations because they live in college towns, they support a lot of graduate students, but the vast majority of people and the vast majority of material that, you're fi- that you'll find is not specific to the graduate student experience and is not necessarily that helpful, again, because we have the opposite situation. So to put a finer point on it, um, you are receiving money from your university, maybe in multiple different ways, and that is very different from you having a relationship where you are paying lots and lots of money to your university and there's little or nothing coming to you in the form of grants or scholarships or whatever. You have a negative uh, cash flow situation as like an undergraduate, and then you have a positive cash flow situation as a graduate student. Totally different for tax purposes. Yeah. And I I also think about, you know, I'm going to admit this out loud, and I think people will judge me. I'm 26. My mom does my taxes, partially because she works at a law firm. Like she understands legal language. I'm not incompetent generally, but she does. And she's been doing them and it's a whole thing. But When I became a graduate student, she suddenly was like, I don't know what to do with you. I don't know how to treat things. I think that, I don't know if she ended up purchasing your tax workshop or if we had just talked about, I was like, mom, maybe you should sign up for this. And she was like, maybe you should sign up for this and do your taxes. But we ended up figuring out that I accidentally was overpaying, which I also know can be a common issue with grad students when we do make that switch from being negative cash flow to being positive, not to mention the fact that we're all paid in different ways, right? Some of us are TAing, some of us are RAing, some people have a fellowship. And for anyone who's been around at least since last semester, you know, I was advertising often for the quarterly tax workshop you offer for fellowship students in the US. So it the layers just keep I mean, I really could just keep going on and on about how I don't want to say the government doesn't handle our tax as well, but we're a really complicated, weird category that exists, but it's like kind of convoluted. I think that's a a great way to put it because graduate students, we all have this just a different, again, a different relationship with the university than we did as undergraduates. You're no longer purely a consumer of what the university produces. You have now become a producer as well. And that means that they're going to pay you. But as you mentioned, the ways that they can pay you are varied. So I have kind of, for my own like framework, to keep it simple in my mind, I've boiled graduate student categories of income down to just two 
very, very broad categories. So one is the income that you receive because you are an employee of the university. And not every graduate student is an employee, as you just mentioned. People who usually the title is RA research assistant or TA teaching assistant, usually those people, not always, but usually they are employees. You can know that is part-time employees. You can know <laughs> for sure that you're an employee because the university will send you a form W-2. That is like a universal thing that if you're an employee, you will be receiving that form. So at least you know for like your stipend or part of your stipend or part of the year for your stipend, you were an employee if you got that form W-2. I'm saying this is universal, but I actually want to qualify. In this whole interview, I'm going to be talking about U.S. citizens, permanent residents, and residents for tax purposes. I'm not going to go into the tax situation for um, non-residents, that is say international students who have not been in the U.S. long enough to be considered residents for tax purposes. So blanket disclaimer up front, when I say things are universal, I'm actually only talking about for those tax statuses. My my workshops, for example, that I put on, I don't cover international students, that is to say non-residents, sure. really any longer because I've actually found that there's great resources out there for non-residents. Um, Sprint Tax and Glacier are both tax software packages that are often provided by universities they're doing a great job and I don't want to replicate their good work. So I'm going to focus on the people who I perceive still need help, which is the citizens (laughs) and the permanent residents and the residents for tax purposes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, so we have that one category, which is like employee income. And then the other category, I call it awarded income, but there's like all kinds of terms that fall under this. This could be fellowship, scholarship, grant sometimes (laughs) is used under there. Just call it awarded income kind of for simplicity, but it's, it's, it's money that you get, but it's not because you are working for it. It's money you've been awarded. It's money you've been granted, basically, usually because of your merit, right? Because of your status as a graduate student. And of course, if you apply for a fellowship and you win it, it's because of all the great work you've done in the past and and so forth. Um, So that whole other category is what I call awarded income. And it's that one gets tricky because awarded income can be, it can be your stipend in some scenarios, but it's always the money that goes towards paying your education expenses, like your tuition, the required fees, that kind of stuff. So those sort of two purposes for the money I lump together under this awarded income category. And that's basically because of how the IRS treats it. Sure. But anyway, um, basically what I'm trying to do is sort of translate between what the IRS talks about and what's going on with them and how universities and graduate students talk about their own finances. So those are my two categories, employee income and awarded income. They're treated slightly different for tax purposes, but it's not as different as you might suspect out of the gate. Well, and I think that, I think in a lot of cases, it's not necessarily students' faults if they do them wrong because of how strange it is and how weirdly we can be categorized by our university. So what are some examples that you know of or like common things that grad students seem to run into either by doing them wrong, or even common ways that they do them incorrectly? Yeah, this is a really good question. And I used to field lots and lots of calls from people in tax season who have been surprised by the way their software prepared their returns. It wasn't what they expected. Or they said, oh my gosh, I just found out I did things wrong for three years. I have to go back and correct everything. So as you said, you know, mistakes happen. Like we're all human. It is hard. It's confusing. And my philosophy on it is just try your best. Don't, (laughs) don't live in fear of the IRS. Like if you make a mistake, it is correctable. It's okay. I am very confident. You're not going to be thrown in jail over like, like, am I the only one who like grew up thinking like you mess up, you like mess with the IRS, you get like arrested. I don't know why I just like grew up with this belief that just is not real. (laughs) You're not going to get arrested. It's not, and, and like, we're not playing with enough money here, right? Like maybe you owe them an extra 500, they owe you an extra 500. Like at the end of the day, like they, they don't care, but they'll care enough to bug you, not arrest yeah. you. 
I agree. They're not going to be lost at launching like some full-scale investigation into like a grad student's tax return, but do try, you know, do try to get it right. Um, If you found out at some point that you did things wrong in the past, yes, please go back and correct it. You have, I believe, up to three years to file amended tax returns. As you said, it's, it's not a huge deal. So the things that can go wrong are like, okay, I miscategorized this income source. You know, a lot of people come to me and say, I never knew my grad student stipend was taxable because no tax was withheld. I had a fellowship. No forms were given to me. That happens all the time. Hey, I didn't know it was taxable. I didn't include it in my taxable income for three years. And that's a tough situation to be in because yes, the right thing to do is to go back, amend all those returns, pay all the back taxes, ask for the fines to be waived. But if they they can't be, then you'll be paying fines too. And that's a big financial hit for a graduate student. It doesn't happen a ton. And you know, I think podcast episodes like this really help um, just kind of get the word out there that like, if you're assuming that your stipend is completely not taxable, uh, you need to look into that real hard because that is a very rare situation. So you know, miscategorizing your income is one thing. Not paying quarterly estimated tax, as you mentioned earlier, if you were supposed to, um, may end up, you might get a small fine. In that case, it's not going to be financially devastating or anything. Um, but another mistake that I see people make is they don't take into account all of their qualified education expenses for which you can take a deduction or a credit. And so they actually end up overpaying their income tax that they actually owe because they just didn't account for every single expense that that they could have. And so that's one of the things I try to do in my tax workshop is really delineate like, okay, grab every single expense you can think of. We'll figure out whether it's qualified or not, how you can use it. But like, frankly, I don't think that people should just blindly trust the forms that they receive Mm. from their universities or funding sources. Like you can look at the form, but ultimately I kind of want you to dive down into the actual transactions that went behind the numbers in that form and kind of verify that everything was present. You know, some things are left out of a 1090T, for example, that could be used as a qualified education expense. So this is a good question that I have. Can we do a quick example? Because I feel like this is somewhat relevant. So I recently purchased a laptop through Apple. I used their education store because I have a edu email address and i got it for grad school can i count that on my taxes so the answer um which this is included in my workshop as well this comes down to how does your school your program your university view the necessity of a laptop for you so if you can find some documentation somewhere any level university college department whatever that says Alana must have a personal computer, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, um, then that can be considered a qualified education expense and used for an education uh, benefit. Oh. Now, we all know that your own personal computer is virtually a necessity during graduate school. Um, Unfortunately, our ground knowledge is not what the IRS is looking for. They're looking for the actual written requirement of having a personal computer. Hey, it's me. After recording, Emily had a couple of additional things that she wanted to say for clarity here. A personal computer can be considered a qualified education expense if explicitly required. But I want to emphasize that it's only for two of the three available higher education tax benefits, not all three. If your stipend is awarded income, it should be pretty straightforward to apply the benefit But if your stipend is employee income, you might have to use one or two techniques that I teach in the workshop. Unfortunately, tax software is unlikely to use these particular methods, so a student employee might miss out on being able to take a deduction for that expense if they use software alone. 
This question is a great illustration of how a grad student might overpay their true tax liability, either by overlooking the expense of the laptop or not applying these special techniques. Okay, back to your favorite podcast. You know what's really interesting about this that actually just makes me super glad I asked this question is that when my classes switched to Zoom, a lot of syllabi started including those statements in them. Syllabi are legal binding contracts, just for anybody who didn't know. Um, There's a bunch of different terminology that universities require professors to have in about equality and blah, 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 blah. So I can actually think off the top of my head, I have a syllabus that talked about the kind of machine that I need because it was like a stats course. And it was like, this is a required thing. So just for anyone listening, check your syllabi. See if they were saying like you need to have your own computer to like zoom into things if you just bought one, just for example. So I'm glad that I asked. This is just, again, a sneak peek into the kind of analyses that might go down in your workshop or the kinds of things that people might be talking about. And so when this episode comes out, it'll be, you know, beginning of the middle of January, right? So today's episode should be coming out on January 10th, which I guess is a month from when we're recording this. And I know that before we started recording, we talked a little bit about timing and that timing can be really important. Can you relay what you said to me to some of the listeners about why timing of when to file is important? Yeah. So there are some different pressures on people and different personalities at play. So (laughs) on the one hand, some people who are expecting a tax refund after they file their return, they want to get that return in like ASAP because then they get their money back ASAP. And, you know, the last couple of years with COVID have kind of complicated this. Like the IRS has started accepting, like their sort of open season on when you can submit a return has been later in the past Mm -hmm. couple of years. Well, I guess I should just say one year um, because they were scrambling to do stuff with like the stimulus checks and just like figuring this stuff out. And so their window like sort of opened later than before. But basically, you know, there's some people who want to file like as soon as possible because they want that refund. That's absolutely a understandable invalid. And then there's other people who are just plain procrastinators. You described yourself that way earlier. I'm that way too. I never filed before, like honestly, like April 16th sometimes. Well, like last year I filed, my mom tried to file my taxes last year and it didn't work and quick and we still don't know why but I ended up just doing it via paper and I mailed it to them on May 17th which was the date that they extended it to they did not have my tax forms in the system like I kept logging into the IRS online until November and once it was in that's when my stimulus finally got fixed from way back when you and I recorded for the first episode on your podcast so it was six months that it took to mail in on time, my tax return and get the money back. So I think that earlier is better, but there's such thing as too early is what it sounds like as well. Yeah. So I've kind of been sort of burned (laughs) and, you know, I've been, I've been working on this tax material for, I don't know, six or seven or eight years now. And in about 50% of those years, some kind of law passes in like January or February that has a retroactive effect on the previous year's um, you know, tax situation for my audience. This isn't even Love just that. speaking generally, specifically right. for like higher education tax benefit. There's been a change. There wasn't there a thing for a while where they were going to start taxing the tuition that were awarded and people were like, what the tuition we literally don't see that goes from the university's pocket to their other pocket. Yes. This was in the early rounds of the tax cuts and jobs <sighs> act. There was some 
it's it's more complicated than what you just said, but it was yeah. not good news for everybody. <laughs> yeah. And so there was a lot of advocacy that went on at that time to, you know, Which, push back. Yeah. And thankfully, you know, that worked. didn't end up in the final final <laughs> yeah. version. Um, but yeah, so there's been these, you know, I would say about half the years that I've been doing this, there's been some kind of change that's happened in January or February that affects everybody's tax returns. So if you had filed by that point, um, then you would have to do an amended return like we were talking about earlier. And so it's just like more work. So doing it on the earliest side is like, it's a little bit of a gamble. Like hopefully you'll get the return through, hopefully you'll get your refund earlier, but also maybe you'll just have to do more work again if something changes. I know for me, I remember presenting for a university one like January and then three weeks later, I had to go back and be like, I recorded another video for you that you need to send to everybody who attended this because things are different now and I'm sorry. Gosh, that's stressful. I love that you use the language that you get burned. Like, yeah, the U.S. government has a vendetta out against you in particular. (laughs) The only person making this finance with PhD. That's probably not true, but at least the one that I know of the most. So it sounds like maybe March is a good safe bet for when to start doing these things. Is that accurate? Or like that would be if you want to be an early bird that like March would be a good time or would you say middle of February? I mean, I would people just say who are whenever there's no more rumblings about like legislative change that would mm. affect the previous year. So like mm. right now we're recording this in December and right. like, I think the build back better plan hasn't passed both chambers. I don't know what's going on anymore, but there's still like some major legislation that is not yeah. completely like finalized yet. And so I would just say at this point, like Sitting in December, like, of course, I'm not preparing my tax return right now, but even let's say in January, February, like if there's any inkling that there's still going to be some legislative changes, like just hold off. But if things seem very settled, you know, everything's been passed, there's nothing else like sort of on the docket that affects previous year's tax stuff, then go ahead and do it. And and like I said, it's kind of the earlier, the better in terms of getting that refund if you owe a refund. Now, the reverse situation, if you owe additional tax, as many people on fellowship would be paying additional tax at tax time, go ahead and prepare your tax return, whatever. But yeah, maybe you want to hold off on submitting it until kind of close to the deadline, just so you can keep that money in your savings account or or keep building it up until you get to the amount that you need to pay um, and just file, you know, close to the deadline. And I think it's important to say that there might be people in your department who could be really good resources, just depending on the staff you have there. So the staff in my department specifically are so good about being way on top of all the tax forms that we fill out for the university and helping us understand exactly how we are categorized and different things like that. And that's going to vary department to department. Different people are going to be on top of it versus not. But I have a really good relationship with our administrative staff. So that helps me out. And for whatever reason, I always end up like either owing $6 or getting $6 back. So for me, tax season is like not that big of a cut in my income. I really wish I was one of those people who was like, I got $2,000 in you know, return to me, but today's not that day. Hey, time for a quick break to thank today's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Personal Finance for PhDs Tax Workshop. If you're a grad student who is a U.S. citizen studying in the U.S., feeling stressed out or confused by tax season, you are not alone and your stress is valid. Tax softwares and professional tax preppers don't always know how we are categorized or how to qualify all of our income. Now, this can lead to overpaying our taxes, which obviously we can't afford, or underpaying, which 
again, we can't afford. Plus, no one wants to deal with penalties from the IRS. Luckily, Dr. Emily Roberts of Personal Finance for PhDs has developed an affordable tax workshop to teach funded grad students how to prepare their annual tax returns without any of that stress. This tax workshop makes it easy to prepare your income and your higher education expense numbers correctly. There are even warnings for common mistakes that students make so that you can avoid them. With this workshop, you get 11 pre-recorded videos and two worksheets to work through at your own pace. Plus, your purchase also comes with an invitation to a live Q&A call with Emily for any questions or concerns you may have. And for any Q&A calls you miss, they're posted and you can watch them later. And the best part? you get all of that for under $30. Now, the tax return due date in the U.S. is April 18th, 2022. So if you are interested, now is definitely the time to sign up and just make your life easier. Think of it like preventative self-care. To purchase this workshop, you'll want to go to pfforphds.com slash DGS return. That's pfforphds.com slash DGS return. You can also find this link in the episode description. Okay, back to your favorite podcast. So thinking about everything that we have said today, I think that it's probably been evident to listeners how complex this can be, probably a lot that you might have to learn, especially if they're early grad students. I know that listening to this, I'm already starting to feel overwhelmed getting back into having to argue with my mother to do my taxes again, but I might do them this year. We'll see. Maybe 26 is the new me. So I would love to start summarizing just a little bit or even starting some final thoughts off earlier. So why don't we break it down into maybe like top three tips that you have or like the top three most important things that people can think about or start doing right now in considering tax season coming up? Yeah, I would love to do that. I think I've already sort of touched on some of these points earlier, but to put like a more like fine um, point on it. it So together. (laughs) Yeah. First tip is to list, like do a deep dive into your finances and really list out all of your sources of income and all of your higher education related expenses. And that would even include like if you took out student loans, like if you had student loan income, now that's not taxable income. I don't want anyone to hear me wrong, but like just include that in your list. I had a student loan disbursement of this amount. Okay, I had a fellowship of this amount, scholarship, employee income, all the different income sources. Um, and then sort of as a second pass, you can go back through and figure out, oh, this is going to be taxable. This is not going to be taxable. So like the loan income would not be taxable. But just for thoroughness, list everything and then sort out which of its ta- you know taxable income, which of the expenses are qualified. Like we talked about that laptop question earlier. In some circumstances, it'll be qualified. In some circumstances, it won't be. It depends on the documentation that you can find or not. And there are other kinds of expenses like that where you would have to do a similar like, okay, I really need to look into this. Does it qualified or not. And this is something that my tax workshop does in detail. It goes through lots of examples, like the one you mentioned about the laptop, other common things like the money that pays your health insurance premium, like other sort of gray areas like that. We go into that in the workshop. And so I can give you examples of how, you know, other students have determined whether that's qualified or not. But the start of it always is just to completely list everything fully. So you're not accidentally leaving out, oh, that random award I got from that random source that one time 12 months ago, it needs to go in that list, you know? 
Second tip, and I did touch on this earlier as well, is kind of to hold the forms you receive from your university a little loosely. The W-2 is is very trustworthy, but it's not necessarily complete, right? Like not all of your stipend might be reflected on the W-2 if you had a fellowship or awarded income source for your stipend as well as an employee source. So it's very common, as you know, for graduate students to switch funding sources mid-year. So maybe part of the year you're employee, part of the year you're not. Or you have a baseline of employee pay and then you have a top-up fellowship on you know, above that. So it's very common to receive these like combinations. So your W-2 is a good form, but it's not necessarily going to give you the whole picture. And likewise, the form 1098T, if you receive one, because not all graduate students receive one, this is part of the complexity of this landscape is not all universities have the same policies. But if you receive a form 1098T, you can look at those numbers, but I don't want them to be the final determiner of how much you think you have in qualified education expenses, for example, because the form 1090T leaves out certain expenses that could be qualified for certain benefits. This is something, again, that we go through in detail in the workshop. For this benefit, this is qualified. For this benefit, it's not. It's on the 1090T. It's not on the 1090T. So you can look at them, but don't uh, fully, fully trust them. Always look at the actual transactions that you incurred, either in your own bank account or in your student account, that underlie the numbers that get kind of summed onto these forms. That's second tip. Look at the forms, but don't let them be the end-all be-all of how you fill out your tax return. Third tip we also briefly touched on earlier, but it's for anybody who has a source of awarded income for your stipend, like a fellowship or a training grant, and your university is not withholding income tax on your behalf. Some people interpret that as, woohoo, I don't owe income tax on this stipend. That is not the case. It's just that the responsibility has been transferred to you to pay your income tax. Your university is not doing the withholding on your behalf. And so this doesn't necessarily relate to like the annual tax return like we've been talking about, but it's just to kind of get the message out there that if you are in that situation, you need to look into whether or not you're required to pay quarterly estimated tax. So the way you do that is by filling out IRS form 1040 ES. Mm. You basically do a high level draft of your tax return and the form tells you, yes, you're required to pay quarterly. No, you're not required to pay quarterly. But in either case, here's the amount of money that you can expect to owe, whether that's throughout the year or one time, you know, one time payment during tax season. Wow. So if that you know describes you and your stipend and so forth, you definitely need to look into that. I have a separate workshop on that subject. So I have one yes. workshop that's on the annual tax return and one workshop that's on quarterly estimated tax. So we've talked a lot about this tax workshop and all the things it has, like all the benefits it has for grad students, but what does it actually entail? Like what are the pieces that people are actually getting if they decide to make a purchase? Yeah, absolutely. So the tax workshop is composed of a set of pre-recorded videos for the 2020 version. And again, we're in December 2021 now. So I haven't finalized next year's version yet. I'm waiting on that legislation to finish up. The 2020 version had about an hour and three quarters of content, like what we've been talking about. So like teaching you what are qualified education expenses? What are your different income sources? What are the different tax, um, higher education tax benefits you could take? All that kind of stuff. There's also special scenarios included in these videos, like things actually get a lot more complicated if you're under the age of 24. Um, Sorry, (laughs) first and possibly second year graduate students. Um, If you fall under that age bracket, you know, you might be considered a dependent of your parent for tax purposes. You might be subject to the kitty tax. Um, There's more complexity for those younger ages, unfortunately. So we go into that as well. Yeah, it's very unpleasant. You'll wish you had never heard of it. (laughs) Um, 
So, so there's, you know, some special videos like that, like just for certain groups of people. Um, so anyway, it's a, it's a good amount of video content. It's broken up so you can skip sections that don't apply to you. Hopefully I also provide some worksheets that kind of help you again, like organize this. So I mentioned earlier, list all of your education expenses, then figure out if they're qualified for this benefit, that benefit. I create some, some worksheets that actually help you keep all that straight. So you're not just like listening to me and trying to frantically do it in your own Excel spreadsheet or whatever. And then the last part of the workshop that I'm actually really proud of, it's one of the strongest components is that I offer um, live Q and A calls throughout tax season. So we'll do the first one in January, kind of like mid to late January. I have them already scheduled once per month. So ending just before the deadline in uh, mid April, but last year I ended up adding some extra sessions as well. I may end up doing that this year, you know, if there's demand. So it's going to be at least four opportunities to get on a call with me live and ask your question. And I also post the recordings of those. So like, if you can't attend the call, you can submit a question, watch the recording. And I've heard from some past workshop participants that just watching the recordings of the Q and A's is like, as helpful as the, you know, the videos and the worksheets and stuff. So like, of course, every year I'm like incorporating the questions that I get into the next version and trying to, you know, improve it that way. So, so you're not totally on your own just with the videos and everything. You also have access to me periodically throughout tax season. Yeah. And I think that it's a great testament to the help that these provide that you actually had to offer more Q&A sessions. And so as we're getting close to wrapping up here, I do want to hear if you have any pieces of advice specifically for the first timers. Now, whether that be first year PhD students, whether that be people who their funding has changed, so any tax knowledge they had before doesn't matter. (laughs) Any advice for anyone going through this mess for the first time specifically? Yes. Now this advice might sound like a bummer at first, but let me explain. (laughs) The advice is trust no one. (laughs) Amazing. Go tell me why. Yes. Now, of course, of course, I want you to trust me. Okay. Like I've studied this a lot. I want to appear trustworthy to you. I want to be (laughs) trustworthy, but honestly, like there's a lot of different, you know, sources you can read and, and people you can listen to and so forth on this topic. And a lot of them are dead wrong about what they tell graduate students about their tax situation. And they can be very well-meaning and they can be experts and they can be knowledgeable in other areas, but there are some people who are just giving out bad information. I hope I am not one of those people and you're feel free to tell me if you, you know, you ever think that I am, but there are some people who are just giving out some bad information. So what I, I encourage you to do is maybe the better term is, is trust, but verify. So like, listen to sources, but ask them, okay, when you're telling me this, can you tell me where I can find the documentation that supports what you're saying? So for me in the workshop, what I try to do is go back to the source material as closely as I can, as often as I can, and tell you literally quote, this is what it says. This is how you interpret this. And I will tell you also if I'm ever making judgment calls based on my experience, based on I've hired CPAs in the past to do research for me. So like based on what the CPAs have told me. Um, So there are some, there are some great areas and some judgment calls to be made occasionally, but I am going to go back to that source material as much as I possibly can. And so if someone is telling you something, especially if it sounds too good to be true, like, oh no, your stipend isn't subject to income tax. Well, you need them to cite chapter and verse as to like where, you know, why they think that and how they're applying that to your situation. So you, I mean, all the people listening to the podcast are highly intelligent, highly competent. No, you're not trained in this area, but honestly, it's not that like difficult to read the source material. Like 
you can figure it out too. The workshop hopefully will give you a shortcut to that. Like it'll help you along and save you some time in that in that way. And it will save you some stress too. But that's what I try to do in the workshop. So if someone is telling you something that seems too good to be true, um, something contradictory to what you've heard, just like go to the source material and try to figure out, you know, where they're getting that idea from, or is it baseless, or is it something that applies for undergrads, but it doesn't apply for graduate students, or you know, et cetera, et cetera. I have to say that I absolutely love this advice because as you were talking, I'm like, okay, so grad students should approach tax season like scientists. Like, don't believe everything you hear. Look for the source where, you know, give me the citation, right? You just want to make sure that the facts that you're being read are the facts. So if anything, we should be very well prepared to learn something like this for the first time. We have the skill set is essentially what you're saying. We can do it, but trust no one. Yes, you put that very well. Thank you. Feel free to take that for your tax workshops. Although not all PhD students are scientists, which is also something I'm working on because I think that I generalize to scientists too often, but we're not going to get psychological about me today. So with that, we're going to move on to final thoughts. As you know from being a guest on the podcast and as many listeners know, this is going to be takeaways or bullet points that if someone was taking notes on episodes, like some do, this would be a great one if you're taking notes, things that you want them to walk away remembering, little bits of information. I'll let you go first as the guest because I like to try to be kind. So what would your final thoughts or your takeaways be for this episode? I I actually think the best takeaway is just what we went through, is that you as a graduate student are highly competent. You can read and understand, you know, (laughs) words critically. You understand what is the source of good and trustworthy information, how to determine when that's not the case. Um, And you can apply all those skills to figuring out your own tax return. And frankly, the math of it, the math of it is never the complexity, right? It's like the language and the interpretation and so forth. So the tax workshops that I provide can help you with that, but they are certainly tailored to your experience as a graduate student. I'm going to try whenever I can to connect what you're seeing from the IRS, what you're seeing in your forms to your lived experience um, as a graduate student. So I really like that you made that parallel and I'm just extending it there. Yeah, I think that's such a good takeaway. And it was it's so funny too, like when I was talking about final thoughts, I'm like, man, what we just talked about is great. And that's what you used. I'm working on this thing where I don't take my guests' final thoughts. So I'm gonna say something different. I think that this is a final thought that it's one of this is my takeaway, honestly, every time you and I have a conversation, which is kind of to get my shit together. And the reason I say that is as grad students, we have so many different responsibilities. And I think at most times we're just trying to keep afloat. Um, whether it be personally, financially, you know, self-care, like we're all just trying to hit our minimum threshold and sort of move on to the next thing and stay afloat. And I think that I've been existing that way financially for a while. We've talked about it in your episode. Things are slightly improved, but not where I want them to be, certainly a year after talking with you. And as I think about tax season, I think that this is a good time to sort of do a self-audit, to sort of go through and say, like, how am I acting? How am I behaving financially as a grad student? You know, I'll be moving on to postdoc in the next couple of years. So for anyone listening who is an older graduate student or somebody who's more than halfway through their program, this could be a good time to do a self-assessment and to pay attention to the way that you're spending money as a grad student and and using tax season and this technique that you had described about listing all of your incomes and, and ways that you've spent things to do so. I'll also say we haven't talked about this, and I don't know if you endorse this, but this is something that has personally helped me. Um, but I've signed up for one of those websites, like I think it's like Mint, um, where you can see all of your finances all in one place and sort of track your spending by category. Um, I can put my student loans there. I put my car loan there. I'm able to see my savings account, my credit cards, all 
in one little dashboard. And that's been helpful to push me forward a bit. But all of that just to say, just because we don't make a lot of money and just because we're kind of just staying afloat financially doesn't mean we can't have somewhat control over our finances and full knowledge of our financial behavior. So that's just my takeaway. Every time I talk with you, I'm like, God, I, you know what? I need to sit down with an Excel sheet. I just need to be an adult. So this is my push for everyone else that if you're feeling that way, same, and you can do it. Yeah. And I'll just, I love all those thoughts, of course, but I'll just extend it to say, you know, this episode's coming out, I think you said on January 10th. Yeah. And not only tax season, but there's new year energy that you can, you know, harness towards um, figuring out what's going on with your finances, setting financial goals and so forth. It's a, it's just a good time of year, right? Of renewal, of new beginnings, right. and your finances can be part of that as well. I think it's so funny that you say that because I literally had a conversation with Luke last night and I was like, you know, I'm not someone to set New Year's resolutions, but I think this year it's going to be getting my finances. So I literally just said that. So anyone listening, you can join me. I also think that signing up for Emily's offers or like what she has to offer, either speaking at your university, if you want her to be hired, if you want to sign up for her community, if you want to sign up for her tax workshop, all of those are ways that you can do that. So Emily, why don't we remind everybody where they can find you online? either to get to know you better through your Twitter or through your website and actually get signed up. Yeah, for sure. So on Twitter, my handle is PFFORPHDS. That's personal finance for PhDs. The website is the same, pfforphds.com. And probably the best way to like sort of keep up with what I'm doing and also learn about things like, okay, the tax workshop is ready or, you know, whatever, just like updates, personal finance stuff, um, is to join my mailing list. So that would be at pfforphds.com slash subscribe. And when you join my mailing list, I'm going to send you a PDF. Actually, Alana, this is perfect for just what you were talking about. Maybe you've already received it if you're on my mailing list, but you'll I receive am. this PDF <laughs> where it's like five quick things you can do to improve your finances, like what you mentioned, using tracking software, I think is one of them. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, just five really fast actions you could take. You can do them all in one day if you wanted to, um, or even just a few hours. So yeah, that would be a nice uh, little bonus for any of you who yeah. are going to join Alana in her journey to um, figuring her finances in 2022. Yeah. Alana's working on it. I'll also say that that email list is free that the resources that you offer in the email list are free. The reason that I like it is I am somebody, and I think a lot of grad students are this way, I don't often have a lot of times to search through uh, like content to figure out what I need. And so what we get through these emails is that you do a really good job, I think, of summarizing and being like, was this topic interesting? Or like, here's what we're talking about on the podcast. Here's a bunch of blogs I've already made on this. Here's other episodes I've already made on this so that it's so well organized and it sort of gives you the resources right in context with what you're talking about for whatever email. I also don't think that you're annoying with how often you send emails. Some people can be really spammy and you are not. So I am on your email list. And right as you started talking, I'm like, she's going to, she's going to mention her mailing list. I know she is. So yeah, definitely. I think that's a great resource. And so with that, I think that we are done with today's episode. Uh, thank you so much for being a guest again. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for allowing me access to your audience because oh, yeah. with tax stuff more than any other aspect of the content that I cover, I really just want people to get some basic, basic knowledge here so that they can avoid kind of the traps that we talked about earlier yeah. and the mistakes and having to spend time and money trying to fix those. I really want people to be able to avoid that. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. Of course. I mean, I honestly, I'm just happy to 
offer this to people. Like, again, we see so many people on Twitter who, to no fault of their own, just like maybe they're not looking in the right places. They don't even know where to look. People just don't know that there is help that is available. And people would have already heard this in the brief bit that I would have put in this episode already, but the services that you offer are affordable for grad students. So I think that that's huge to say, like when you see other tax workshops that are not geared towards grad students, they can be in the hundreds. And that's because it's a really valuable service. But I I appreciate that you've set your business model up to allow it to be affordable for grad students. So as everyone knows, I really cannot say enough wonderful things about what you have to offer. By the way, a great way to make this even more affordable for you is to not pay for it yourself and to ask your universities to bring me in for a live event, to buy the tax workshop in bulk for you and your peers. Like I work a lot, a lot with universities. I'm in this capacity. So I'm, yeah. So if you like what you hear, but you want to bring it to a lot of people um, near you, you can, you know, have somebody from the graduate school or graduate student government, just contact me and we can talk through that. Um, But as you said, if you end up, you know, they aren't going to provide it to you, then yes, it is affordable to purchase as an individual. Yeah. You know, I actually, I love that you had to say that because I'm thinking a lot about financial literacy as like such a privilege. I think that this could go for anyone on a DEI committee thinking about just getting people at a good basic understanding of finances. I think that you were a great resource to be brought in for anyone who was looking to give as many people as possible some financial information. So that's just one idea, but I think that anyone could have you invited and it would be so cool if your university copped it. So just things for folks to think about. Emily, thank you for the millionth time for being a guest. Listeners, thank you all for continuing to listen to the podcast. I started during quarantine and I will talk to you all next week. Hashtag bye. connect with Dear Grad Student on Twitter at Dear Grad Student, on Instagram at Dear Grad Student Pod, and on Facebook at Dear Grad Student. Everything that you need for the podcast can be found on the podcast website at deargradstudent.com. If you're looking for merch, you can go to the website, click merch in the menu at the top, or look me up on Redbubble. If you just want to listen to me ramble online, you can find me on Twitter at Alana underscore Gloger. That's E-L-A-N-A underscore G-L-O-G-E-R. And of course, everything for this podcast is made possible by the amazing podcast patrons. If you want to help out, you can join them at patreon.com slash deargradstudent for one, three, five, or $10 a month. If you want to help out the podcast in other ways, you can leave a review. Best place for that is Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Google Podcasts. Be sure that you are following Dear Grad Student on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever you find your other favorite shows to be sure that you are notified when each episode goes live. As a reminder, all resources and links mentioned in today's episode can be found in the description. And until next time, warmest regards, best wishes, sincerely, Alana. Thank you.